Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Welcome to the 2X Podcast. Here's your host, Bill Kasky. Hey, 2X Podcast listeners, Bill Kasky, back at the 2X Podcast. Welcome back for another episode. Got some uh, interesting things we do today, or we're going to do today. I'm going to answer three or four questions from listeners, and then I'm going to take the last question there and get into some detail. And the, the title of this uh, you know, it's funny when you hear podcast people say, uh, you know, if you have children in the car, you might want to turn it down for this next segment. Well, this idea of what is it that makes a person sleazy? Why do we associate sleaziness with sales? And I'm going to go through in a minute the little story that I have that is a true story and one that even though we might not associate the two, other people do. And that's worth paying attention to. So again, this was a Facebook Live that I did. Uh, I take three or four questions. They were all good questions, too. We're getting some really good questions from our listeners and our viewers. So if you get a chance, we're Facebook Live programming every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. And it's about a 20, 25-minute show. And uh, here was this week's show. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Bill Kasky, Facebook Live. It's Tuesday at 3, so it must be time to answer questions. I've got three or four questions here we're going to answer today. You saw the topic is how to avoid the sleaze, how to get out of the sleaze factor. I know that sounds like a PG-rated thing, but it's really not. So I was going to get real, real sleazy and slutty today, but decided that I already had rated it G, so not going to do that. But we are going to take some really good questions from our listening audience uh, if you have a comment or a question, or we'd love it if you shared this with your tribe uh, as we're going today. So it's going to take these three. And then uh, the last question here kind of eases us into the main topic, which is, uh, which is this idea of how do we avoid sleaze and sales. Before we begin, though, I want to make sure that you have access. And, but if you'll go to BillKasky.com slash quickstart, in about two weeks, we're going to release a three-video training series called the quick, the quick Start Program, and it is a, it's, I'm sorry, it's called 2X Quick Start, and what it is, is it's going to help you create a plan, and a couple of questions today even actually refer to that, but I want you to go there and uh, get on the list, you'll be notified the instant it comes out, it's going to be in the April 15th to 17th range, so it's going to be really quickly, but if you'll go to BillKasky.com slash Quick Start, Quick Start, all one words, one words, one word, uh, you'll get on the list and you'll be notified. So hopefully you'll do that. A lot of good comments from the amateur versus pro document that we sent out or we gave you access to last week. If that's interesting to you still and you haven't gotten a copy of that, go to BillKasky.com slash pro. Is that correct, Travis? All right, slash pro. All right, so let's get going today. It's 3 o'clock, so we're, we're moving. Uh, again, a few questions first. 
And uh, then I've got a couple of things I want to talk about on this whole sleeve thing. Here's a question from Matt. He says, uh, I have found that more and more of our customers demand that we turn around our estimates to them. In some cases, it's not feasible because the level of engineering that we'd have to put into calculating how we would process their request is just not feasible to do in a timely manner. We provide an industrial service that supports our customers. So his question is this. How would you recommend dealing with very demanding customers when it pushes your physical capabilities to get a quote back? And how would you follow up with these customers when most of them won't offer you any feedback other than to say, you know, they haven't heard back from their customer. I presume Matt's in a business where he sells to someone who in turn sells to somebody else down the channel. So here's what I, I wrote for Matt. And this is a, a little bit of a complex question, but I think if you have circumstances where customers are uh, demanding, now if they're demanding you you do what you said you were going to do, I think that's a whole different thing. This is kind of up front before any kind of the rules have been set. So Matt has a control problem in that the customer that's calling in believes they are in control of the process and Matt kind of becomes out of control. So we need to put Matt back in control of the process. Now, when you start talking about control of the process, a lot of times what happens is you lose the prospect because they refuse to abdicate control. They, they don't want to give control to you. But remember, you're the one with the solution. And the quotation or the recommendation, or as he calls it, the proposal, uh, what does he call it here? The, the request for a proposal, that is your value. So your value to a customer is in how well you do that, how thorough you, thorough you are with it. So we need to get Matt back in control and we need to do it gently. So here's one thing I would recommend. I'm not suggesting this is going to be the winner in every situation, but if something is happening to you before you can stop it, then you need to preempt it. So you preempt it by saying to the customer, look, we're, we're really backed up right now. Uh, I don't know when you want this back. Why don't you tell me when you might want it, and I'll tell you whether we can do it or not, because if we can't, I want to be honest with you up front that we can't do it in the, in the time that you need. So some type of preempting, because once they say, I need it back tomorrow at noon, and you can't do it tomorrow at noon, now you're in an arm wrestling match. And some customers are going to be they're going to be understanding, and they're going to say, if Matt, if you say, look, it's going to be 6 o'clock the next day, some of them are going to say, okay, fine, but I want you to preempt it. If you know those people who are going to be demanding, you definitely want to preempt it. The second thing is I want to acknowledge this discomfort for the customers. So not only do I want you to preempt the fact that you can't get it back always within 24 hours, but also acknowledge that, you know, look, I understand that that might put you in a jam, but I don't want to just deliver something that's halfway, half worked out. Uh, I also don't want to deliver something that is here, and then you give us the business, you buy from us, and it's here because we didn't, weren't thorough about it. I would rather not have the business than to have you mad at me because I hurried up through a quote that wasn't accurate. So those are two, first two things that come to mind, Matt. I don't know if that helps. Uh, I know a little bit more about your issue because uh, I sense I know who you are and what you're struggling with here, but you've got to get back in control. That's really, that's really the answer. That, that's really the answer to all this. Remember, the last three or four Facebook Lives, we've talked about how to sell a premium product in a commodity market. And that's the same kind of thing. The customer demands a low price, and you're up here 
And you've got to find a way to position yourself so that you avoid that altogether. And that's part of the things that we worked on. If you didn't see those videos, they should be on the stream here somewhere. Go back and listen to those, especially if you have a premium product. Here's another one from Michael. He says, I've heard you say before that until you know exactly what you want, you won't be able to build a plan to get there. Yes, I have said that before. Uh, actually, I said it this morning. I thought I knew, but as I thought about it this weekend after your last Facebook Live, I'm really not sure. What methods would you suggest to help me get ultra-focused on my vision? A friend of mine, Lane, uh, who is a, a colleague of mine in a men's group that I belong to, just sent me a note this morning, and he said he uh, created a quote. I don't know if it was his or if he would attribute it to somebody, but it said something like, when the vision is clear, the strategies and tactics are evident. When the vision is clear, the strategies and tactics become evident. And I think a lot of times what we do, and, and Michael, you may have this a little bit too, is until we are clear on where we're going, then the plan doesn't build itself. Once you become clear about your vision and what your goals are for the next three or four years uh, and become ultra-focused on it, then the strategies and the tactics and all the mechanics of it become evident. In fact, that's exactly what, and this, is, uh, this was not a setup on my part, uh, it just came to me that the quick, the quick start thing that I talked about earlier, that quick start video program, is a great place for you to start, Michael. So go to BillKasky.com slash quick start. We talk a little bit about building the plan, where are you, where are you going, and how are you going to get there. Uh, also, I think if you're, I'll give you a little something here that uh, may or may not be in the videos, this idea of field of possibility. Sometimes when someone says, well, Michael, if I were to call you up today and say, well, what do you want? What's your vision? I bet you wouldn't be crystal clear about it. So how do you find out what you want? Well, I think you start, as Deepak Chopra would say, in the field of all possibilities. You have to create the field of possibilities. So start making a list of things that are possible. It's almost like a bucket list for your business vision. Just start making a list of those things. Would you like to be earning $500,000 a year? Write that down. Would you like to be spending half the season in California and the winter, or the winter in California and the summer in New Hampshire? Write that down. Would you like to have 10 clients paying you $20,000 a month to consult with them? Write that down. Write all those things down. Don't show it to anybody. Don't, don't brag about it. Don't put it online. Just, just have a private conversation with yourself as you go through that list. What you will find is some of those things have some weight. You'll go back and look at that list in a few days. In a few of these things, you'll say, well, that's, that's not really interesting to me. Where, where the heck did that come from? A couple of the things you have down, you'll say, that's it. So I think this idea of the field of all possibilities is important because when you start to list those things and get them out of your brain and out of your mind onto a piece of paper, then you can do something with them. So that's one thing I would recommend. But also go to BillKasky.com, sign up for the Quick Start program. Uh, Bill, thanks for the great content. I've been setting goals to significantly improve my results, but I'm not seeing it. I thought this year, 2017, was to be different. I set my goals for a 50% increase in income, but I'm actually behind last year as of March. Not sure what I'm doing or not doing. Can you point me somewhere? Yeah, right over there. Well, here's the problem. And did I say Roger? It's Roger. Um, a lot of times when we set goals, we will set uh, goals that are outcome-based. So if we earned $50,000 this year and we want to earn $100,000 next year, then we'll just take that and we'll just move it up the line. The problem with that is you still have the same number of hours. 
So unless you are just working half days now and you want to double your income, you can work full days, you might get there. But what I find is most of you are not working half days. You're working an hour. No, you're working full days. So if you're working 40 to 50 hours a week and you want to double your income, you can't work 100 hours a week and you shouldn't work 100 hours a week. So part of your goal setting process is what goals do you want to accomplish that give you time, that leverage your time, that helps you scale the business without just, uh, and if I had a whiteboard here, I would, draw, I would draw a straight line 45 degrees. One input equals one output, or it's one input equals one output. So the straight line, I put in four, four calories, I get four outputs. I put in six calories, I get six outputs. That's a straight line. But in goal setting, especially when you're looking to significantly improve your income, you've got to find ways to scale and to leverage and to optimize. So some of your goals shouldn't be about results. Some should, but some shouldn't. They should be about process. What processes are you going to engage in that allow you to, instead of working for $100 an hour, work for $400 an hour? There's ways to do that. So that's one thing that I would talk about. Also, I think, uh, Roger, you should start looking at the money value of time. You know, in uh, finance class, you hear about the time value of money and that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar five years from now because of inflation and because of use and opportunity costs and all those things. What I want you to do is to reverse that and say, what's the money value of time? So what's my hour worth today if I'm earning $50,000 a year? What's it worth? Say an hour in front of a customer, it might be worth 500 bucks. But if I'm going to make $100,000 a year, I've got, to, I've got to adjust that. So my money value of time has to change. And sometimes that's a belief issue. And so I would recommend you look at that, look at that goal-setting chart and say, what goals can I create for myself that will scale my hourly rate? And uh, I think you'll find then that that becomes a little bit easier. And it gets exciting, too. Okay, here's the question that was asked by uh, Bruce, and this leads us to our topic today. Here he says, Bill, I'm not sure I'm cut out for sales. I'm 35, have been in a sales role for nearly 10 years. I would say I've been somewhat successful, but not as much so as some of my colleagues and friends. In fact, I feel like I'm way behind them. Plus, you got me thinking a few weeks ago when you did the Q&A about my mindset that I take with me every day. I'm not sure I'm thinking right about the profession of selling in the first place. I'm not sure I've committed to being a salesperson. I still feel like it's a little beneath me, that I'm being fake and phony. I'm not sure what my question is, but I'm not in the right headspace right now. Thanks for considering this, Bruce. Okay. Uh, You know, it was probably... 1992, I started this business in 1990, and I used to speak to small groups. And one of the exercises I did, starting in uh, a couple years after I started the business, was I would ask people, and these are mostly salespeople, what, I don't know if you remember the game Password. Password was a game that was on in the 60s, it was on TV, and there was a home edition, and what it would do, it would pair up people, you'd have a partner, and you would try to get the partner to guess the word on your card, but you couldn't use that word, obviously. You'd have to use adjectives and nouns, and, uh, you know, if I wanted to guess, have them guess down, I would say up, and they would say down. But I used to do this exercise where I would say, if I were trying to get you to guess the word salesperson, what clues would you give me? And these are to salespeople. 
some engineer, some account manager, but generally a sales group. What do you think I heard? This was 1992. What do you think I heard? I heard things like shyster, um, you know, white belt, plaid coat, um, lie, persuade. And I always heard the word sleazy. Now, I was always surprised at that word because I didn't, I never associated a salesperson with sleazy. I always thought sleazy was something else that we won't get into. But that was the impression people had back in 1992. I had not done that exercise for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I used to do it a lot, but I kind of got away from it. But I was in uh, Chicago about a month or two ago, and I had a room full of about 100 salespeople. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull that exercise out of the, I'm going to dust that thing off, pull it out, see what happens. What do you think I heard 2017, 25 years after the first time I did it? What do you think I heard from that group when I said, what clues would you give to guess the word salesperson? Any guess? The same exact words, the same exact clues. And this time, sleazy was number three. So I I went around and said, okay, we we got five or six, and I had them by a show of hands, which one was the most obvious choice, and sleazy was top two or three. And I I thought at the time, and again, this was just a couple months ago, I thought, we've not really progressed much, have we? We still have this impression of the sales team. Now, I know you aren't that way, and hopefully I'm not that way. And if you ever showed up to sell me something or I to sell you something, I don't think we would get that impression. So it's not we on this call or on this video program that have that. But what about your customers? Because your customers aren't salespeople sometimes, probably most of the time. So do they still have that impression of you and I when we walk in? Now, I know they don't say that. They don't curl up in a ball. They don't run when you show up, especially if you have an appointment. If you don't have an appointment, they may. But I think that that stereotype is still out there. And I don't know whether the culture created it or whether people in the culture created it. But one thing is for sure, I've got two words for you, Herb Tarlick. Look up Herb Tarlick sometime. He was, <laughs> he was on WKRP in Cincinnati. He was a sales manager, and he always had these loud plaid coats, and he was, he was arrogant, and he was, he was tedious. And, but that was, he was impersonating what they saw as the typical salesperson. Now, maybe that was in the media. I don't know. But uh, look up Herb Tarlick, and if you haven't watched any episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati, it's been off for 35, 40 years. But, uh, but I'm just kidding there. But Herb was the kind of the stereotypical salesperson. Now, so what do we do? Because when we go home at night and we see our kids and our spouses, we don't walk in and the kids all run and say, oh, here comes the sleaze bag. Here comes that sleazy guy. My dad, he's a good guy. But man, he's, no, of course not. But when we show up for an appointment, What do they think of us? What category do they put us in? There is a book that I just got the other day. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, Morgan Wright, asked me to to buy it. It's called Playing Big. And it's about companies who own a category. Like Google owns the search category. There's a lot of other search engines, but Google owns the search category. Apple owns the tablet market, or did. I, I think they probably still do. But what I want to know for, me, for you is, and for me, is what category would we define salesperson as? Because if you show up 
or if we walk in and we do anything that confirms their impression of the stereotype of us as sleazy, that's a bad thing. We won't win that game. We might even make the sale, but probably not. So when you show up, and I'm going to get to three things that I think you can start to think about here a little bit and do, and this kind of answers Roger's question is, what do we think of our profession? What do we think of it? Now, I know you would say, well, it's a very honorable profession, and we're helping people, and we're growing businesses, and we're helping our employees. So when we sell something, it trickles down into our, uh, our sphere of influence. Uh, I know we say we don't lie, and I don't think you do. And I know we say that we're always in high integrity. And I know we say that we don't sell anything that we wouldn't buy. So we're all in the up and up. In that case, why do people still have the stereotypical impression of us as sleazy? I think it's because of how we were trained. I think when most of us got into sales, we were impressionable. We took advice from our first boss, first manager. We probably didn't attend a lot of self-help or self-development programs when we were in our 20s, so we kind of relied on the people who were doing it. I remember I was uh, with a company called McAllister Machinery. We sold Caterpillar equipment. And I had no, I mean, I didn't even know what Caterpillars were when I, uh, when I got to the company. But I remember I was up in one of my first sales meetings there, and there was a guy, I can't remember his name, he's a very large guy. He was an old, older salesperson. He goes, Bill, I got, here's exactly what to do. When the customer's talking, just smile and nod your head. Just smile and nod your head. That's all you got to do. You'll be a great salesperson. I thought, well, I could probably do that. But that was terrible advice, terrible advice. So I had a couple of managers who really weren't all that helpful. And I don't know that I've ever had a a manager or a leader who has really taught me not just how to sell, but how to think about the profession. So that's what we're going to do today. And I want you to know that if you feel like, well, this really doesn't apply to me, you've probably already turned this off, but watch on because there might even be some ways that you don't realize that you're doing something that's actually causing the customer to have some kind of a negative stereotype. I use the word sleazy, just kind of be funny, but that is one of the words that comes up. If that's not a word you appreciate or like, or if you have little kids in the car while you're watching this and you don't want to, since this is a rated G thing, you don't want to have to define that word, pick the word that you like. But here's three things. I want you to get out of sales mode. I want you to get out of sales mode. Because when you show up pitching and convincing and persuading, you are in sales mode. And whatever stereotype they have of a salesperson will be triggered. It'll be triggered, no matter if you're that person or not. So here's number one. Serve, not sell. You have to adopt the mindset of serving, not selling. What does serving mean? Serving means give the customer or the prospect, let's just say, a really good user experience, not after they buy, but before they buy. Help them through the process. Tell them exactly what you're going to do with them and how you're going to move through the process. And you might even bring value in some way, like maybe you've written an article or a white paper. I just was on the phone with a young man today who's joining one of our groups. And he says, I've got to become known as a thought leader in my industry. I have to. If I'm going to grow my business, he has some large accounts, I'm going to have to publish something, video, audio, content in order to be a thought leader so that I get invited in at the highest levels. Well, if you're publishing content or somehow helping them, helping yourself become more valuable to them by publishing content, you are now serving, not selling. 
Be present with the person. If the person is telling you about their issues, about their needs and frustrations, or about their goals, be present. Don't think about what you're going to say next. Whether you're on the phone, on a webinar, face-to-face, networking event, look them in the eye and be present. Don't be talking on your phone, answering your phone, texting, hang on a second. I had a guy at a networking event a couple weeks ago who literally, where there was three of us standing there, and the other guy and I were talking, he was checking his messages. He's not present. You're not present. That, that is just that scream stereotypical salesperson. So serve, don't sell. That's number one. That's an attitude. There are tactics around it, but that's an attitude. Attitude number two, I want you to adopt the attitude of solve, not sell. I'm going to give you three S's here. Solve, not sell. Or leave. If you can't solve a problem, if they are unwilling to admit to you that they have a, a problem they're trying to fix, a problem they're trying to avoid, a goal they're trying to reach or to aspire to, if they, haven't, if they can't share that with you and admit that to you, if you've not created that safe space, which we have talked about in the past, we'll talk about it again, that would be a really good Facebook Live, just talk about safe space. If you uh, haven't done that, then you may not have earned the right to ask the questions that are going to lead them to tell you what their issues are. So I want you to think about solving a problem the customer has or solving a problem that's getting in the way of them aspiring to a goal. And it could be you sharing your story with them. That can, that can be a, a solution. You can, it can be you sharing the company story. And the company story could be things like, let, let me tell you why we even exist as a company. What kinds of customers we love working with. The kinds of problems our typical customers have. That's serving, that's solving for them. Because now it becomes more likely they're able to share with you what their issues are. So adopt the attitude, number one, serve, not solve. Number two, I'm sorry, serve, not sell. Number two, solve, not sell. The third attitude I want you to adopt, and this is a tough one, this is going to be a tough one, sort, not sell. You know, if you look at your your universe of prospects. Let's say that you're in a territory of, uh, you know, a thousand prospects. You want to make sure that you are sorting those people who are never going to buy from those who are really interested. A friend of mine used to say, you have to separate the, the intellectually curious from the economically serious. And if you'll do that, if you'll have that idea of, I'm, I'm just sorting today. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm sorting the people who are interested, who have a problem, whose problem is costing them money, who are willing to commit to some kind of solution from those people who don't want to admit they have a problem, or maybe they have no problems, uh, or they're not willing to invest any money or time or, or calories to fix it. So if you have these three attitudes, I'm here to serve, I'm here to solve, I'm here to sort, I wouldn't tell the customer these things, but if you can adopt those three attitudes, I don't think you're sleazy anymore. I think you totally step out of the, the traditional stereotype of being a, a, an annoying salesperson. So those are the three things. Hopefully that helps you today. And even if you don't consider yourself that, and if you, if you really haven't run into any stereotypes, or like, uh, who is this, Michael, Roger? Who is this? Bruce. Who feels like, selling, he's wondering, he's second-guessing himself about whether this profession is really good to be in, don't get out, change your mindset. When you change your mindset, everything around you changes, including your results. If you would uh, want to share this, we'd love to have you do that. 
If this was valuable content to you, also a couple of websites uh, we talked about earlier. If you'd like to do the Quick Start video series, it's out in mid- the middle of April. Go to BillKasky.com slash Quick Start. Quick Start is one word. So we'll be back next Tuesday, 3 o'clock. Send me a question or ask it here on the stream, and I'll make sure that I collect those, and we'll address them next time. All right. I enjoyed being with you. Hope you have a great rest of the week. See you. Bye. You've been listening to the 2X Podcast. If you'd like to contact Bill, email him at bill at billkasky.com or follow him on Twitter at Bill Kasky.